If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! I called it! <laughs> Hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 204 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here for a second week in a row in the offseason on December 10th in 2023. You best believe your boy is in a good mood because I called it. It is Sunday the 10th, and as of a few days ago, it is official. As I had predicted by the end of the winter meetings, Juan freaking Soto is a Yankee! (laughs) Applause is the most appropriate thing right now, yep. Guys, I'm in quite a good mood. I said, if anything major happened, I'd be back here with you for a second week in a row, and here I am, man of my word, as I was a man of my word for my prediction as well. I don't know, guys, I just had a feeling. I know I wasn't the only one out there, but I did say on last week's show, you could go back and listen to it, that even though I had no reason to believe in it, because of my feelings about Brian Cashman and the front office at large, I did go out on the longest limb of all time and say that by the end of the winter meetings, pretty much before the end of Wednesday night, I felt that Juan Soto could and would be a New York Yankee. And that, guys, is exactly what happened. And we're going to get into all of it in just a few minutes. We're getting right back into it today, not wasting any time, right down to business, just like last week, second week of a row with Yapping Yankees. I hope you're all doing well and had yourselves a great week as well. If you love the Yankees as much as I do, it should have been in light of what happened because it was that incredible. We do have some people trying to dampen our mood, as always, because it is impossible to please absolutely everybody in this world, as we know, but it is certainly doing nothing to damper my excitement and thrill You've seen it on social media, and you will continue to hear it on today's show. You will have never heard a more excited, passionate, and even, to a degree, toxic version of myself ever since this happened. Because, I gotta be honest with you, as far as moves go that Yankees have made, since probably they won the World Series almost 15 years ago, I would say, last time, I'd say that this is top three moments that I have ever experienced this kind of excitement since the World Series. I am so happy about this trade. It is not even funny. We're going to get into it in a minute completely. But again, I do hope you all had a good week and wanted to tell you guys another thing, that this is more of just a scheduling thing. Even though I'm coming back at you this week for another episode, two weeks in a row, which obviously during the offseason, it's mainly bi-weekly unless something big happens like it did this past week with Juan Soto, obviously. But this is going to make a lot of listeners happy because whenever I am doing this bi-weekly thing during the offseason, every time I come back with another episode on the week that I'm on, 
Everybody always says it's so great to be able to listen again and everything, so obviously the more episodes, the better for all these listeners of mine. Understandably so, you enjoy the show, and I appreciate you to the ends of the earth for that. You know that. Well, you people out there are going to be very happy at this announcement, but I'm actually, regardless of what happens this coming week, I will be doing another episode next Sunday, the 17th. So I will be back next Sunday regardless of what happens. Obviously, there is another move potentially in the wings that a lot of people are anticipating, possibly happening maybe even this week, given what's happening tomorrow. We're going to get into that later on as well. Don't you worry. But regardless of whether or not that happens, I am going to be doing an episode next Sunday. And the reason I'm doing an episode next Sunday is because I have a schedule in mind where I'd like to have an off week during Christmas Eve. And I don't want to not have an episode two weeks in a row. I never want to do that as long as I can, you know, as far as I can control it. Because obviously if something happens in my life, like I went on a hiatus once a couple years ago, like when I lost my grandmother two years ago, and whenever really bad things have happened in life and I just got to take some time away. I do what I have to do. But if I can help it, and there's really no reason for it, I really do not like to take two weeks off in a row. I really don't like to do it at all. I like to keep keep my content consistent and keep you guys happy and keep you guys with fresh content and just keep on coming at you with new episodes. And I just don't like to take more than just one week off if I can help it. But I would like the one week to be off coming up in a few weeks, to be Christmas Eve. I don't mind doing an episode on New Year's Eve because everything that happens before the ball drops, in my opinion, on New Year's Eve really means nothing because I never do anything for the day anyway. I just like to stay in. So I'm more than fine with just staying in and doing an episode on New Year's Eve, the 31st, which is really cool because that just happens to fall on a Sunday. So you will be getting a New Year's Eve edition of Yapping Yankees. I'm not sure that's happened before now that I think about it. Next year, 2024, will be year five for Yapping Yankees, and I'm not sure that's happened yet, a New Year's Eve episode. So that'll be interesting in a few weeks. Three, actually, exactly. So I will be back with an episode next week so that I could go back to the bi-weekly format. Obviously, if something happens after the 17th, but before the 24th, I'm going to have to think of doing a Christmas Eve episode too. But if I can help it, I'd like to be able to spend that day with family because the entire day is celebratory, obviously, as opposed to New Year's Eve, which the biggest moment is midnight. So... That's my logic behind it. So that's why, regardless, I'm going to be doing another episode next week. So you're going to be getting three weeks in a row of the offseason for Yapping Yankees episodes. So I'm going to be off Christmas Eve and then have an episode for New Year's Eve and then so on and so forth for the rest of the offseason, depending on what happens, obviously, if any other big moves take place. But tentatively right now, that is the plan. That's my schedule going forward, ideally. So I will be back next Sunday, the 17th, and then I'll be looking to take off for Christmas Eve, understandably so. I hope you understand. And then I'll have an episode on New Year's Eve, which is going to be really fun. But guys, it's time to get right down to business because something huge happened on Wednesday. Obviously, well, hell, I just went over it and fanboyed over it for a few minutes, but you better strap yourselves in because it's going to be another hour plus of fanboying over this crap. So what did happen was, again... The trade that we all anticipated, we're dreaming about, probably in reality could not really even accept or have it sink in that it really did happen when it did. I'm still in disbelief over it, but there is no denying that it took place. Juan Soto is a New York Yankee. 
The Yankees and the Padres got the trade done after much anticipation. Much anticipation. The reports going on all day long on Wednesday. Borderline torture. Everyone talking about this. Every reporter you could imagine talking about Yankees and Padres getting close. The talks have heated back up after the stalemate. It Basically everything we could have anticipated happening. And I... I predicted, I said, I think the talks will go back. I hope they do at least. And they just get it done by the end of the winter meetings. It's exactly what happened. The talks heated back up. You just kept on hearing. They're talking, they're talking, they're talking. The names seem to be known. It seems to be King, Thorpe, Vasquez, Brito, and one other possible player. And when we spoke last week, it was a seven-player package that even included Clark Schmidt and two other prospects. So... Because originally, it seemed to be King, Schmidt, two pitching prospects, Randy Vasquez, Johnny Brito, making for a seven-player package for, as of right now, one year of Juan Soto. And that seemed, even for someone as excited as me, who wanted Juan Soto as much as I did, and am thrilled about now that they officially do have him, that seemed to be pretty steep. And it seemed like it caused a stalemate because the Yankees were hesitant. And I actually didn't blame them for that, because that's a lot. That is a lot. But obviously, later on, it did come down a bit, because not only did the package go down to five players, excuse me, but another player was thrown in by the Padres, that name being Trent Grisham. So that was the official trade, guys. Juan Soto and Trent Grisham, center fielder for the Padres, for Michael King, Drew Thorpe, Randy Vasquez, Johnny Brito, and a fifth player that was not mentioned prior, although potentially speculated upon based off the fact that the Padres could have also used a catcher, but also Yankee veteran Kyle Higashioka went over in the deal. That was the official package. So the player package number on the Yankees' behalf dropped from 7 to 5. And the Padres also included Trent Grisham. So that's how the package changed from last week. It obviously would have had to have changed for it to go through because the Yankees at first at that original package were originally hesitant. It did change. Talks reignited. And then we were hearing for hours from all the reporters, oh, the deal's just being finalized, might be medicals, minor details, a lot goes into a trade with this many players and a package and whatnot. And it just seemed to drag on for hours. It was torture for those of us who were just praying for the trade to officially go through. And then in maybe the mid to late 10 o'clock hour, late Wednesday night, after we also got reports that the Padres and even the Yankees had left the building from the winter meetings and the winter meetings were officially over hours prior and whatnot, making everybody nervous, thinking that it could go into the later part of the week and into the weekend and even to this coming week. Not the case. It was announced in the mid to late 10 o'clock hour. The trade had gone through. And to be honest with you, when I got that report, I could have gone dancing naked in a fountain. (laughs) Oh, I thank you. You're too kind. (laughs) Uh, I'm always down for new sound effects. But yeah, that's just about how excited I was. I know a lot of people experienced similar excitement, but... It was just a sense of relief, too, and it finally came out after all the hours of reporting and dragging on and on and on and on. 
My goodness. But it finally went down. So, now that we're past the excitement, and we're going to continue to talk about it throughout the episode and how thrilled I am, obviously, even more so while going through the trade and judging it, objectively, my honest opinion about all of it, I never give anything less than my honest opinion on here, regardless of whether or not it'll be a popular one, it's my show and it's my duty to give you my honest thoughts on everything as they come in, otherwise, what am I doing here, honestly? So, let's piece it up, piece by piece, go through each player and go through the package. Figured I'd start with Trent Grisham first, the guy who was added later on into the trade. So that San Diego would be giving back more than just Juan Soto. Not that there even needs to be more because Juan Soto is Juan freaking Soto. But anyways, it was nice to have Trent Grisham included in this. Some people may not necessarily feel the same. I'll give both perspectives, obviously. First and foremost, I figured I'd get the negative out of the way when it comes to Trent Grisham. The negative really is that he doesn't hit a lick. (laughs) Just does not hit. Now, interestingly enough, some people may remember him as... One of the Mets' worst nightmares. And if you need your memory refreshed, well then flash back to a couple of years ago in the three-game set with the Padres at City Field. Mets-Padres battling it out, wild card round. One of the bigger offensive threats in that series for the Padres, believe it or not, coming through with a lot of crucial hits and crucial spots, despite the fact that he is overall not a good hitter at all, is Trent Grisham. (laughs) So, interestingly enough, the guy who was not known as being a hitter at all really came through in that series, so do with that what you will, and maybe be excited saying, oh, maybe he's just one of those guys that really doesn't hit in general, but then in bigger spots will come through in the clutch. Maybe he can end up being that guy. But just majorly going off of all the evidence that all of us have, on the whole, he does not hit a lick. He really does not hit well. So if you have to find a con for Grisham, that's a con. But he does have his positive attributes as well. He walks a lot. He defends very well. Center fielder, which the Yankees were desperately in need of, obviously. I've been going on all offseason. All of us have been. About how the Yankees had to fill not one outfield position, but two. Left field and center field, at least until Jason Dominguez comes back majorly in the case of center field. But he can act as a really good glove. Two-time gold glove winner. He does walk a lot. Depth outfielder, fourth outfielder. And in that depth, there are a lot of different ways you could use him. Mainly, possibly as a late-game defensive substitution, maybe. Or just in the event that you need an alternative if somebody were to have a day off or get injured, obviously. Which is a frequent occurrence on the Yankees. So you can never have too much depth. Especially in an area where the Yankees didn't even really have players just a few days ago. Let alone depth. So, I struggle to find issue with this inclusion in this package. I'm pretty happy that they got Grisham. Obviously, I don't expect him to play like a beyond massive everyday role on this team. If he is, then you probably have a problem somewhere. But even if he is to and it ends up working out well, then fine. I mean, because he does have his positives. So if you utilize those positives, it could be a good option to have. (laughs) Honestly, that's just really how I feel about it. And when you think about it, Juan Soto, yeah, I've mentioned that his glove is pretty good. I mean, probably exaggerated a little bit. It's it's, it's not great. It's not brutal either. But still, regardless, with the addition of Grisham, Soto now, and somebody else that I'll talk about in a bit, but we're mainly talking about this trade package right now, 
right now it seems that you actually have, for the first time in a while, because the Yankees have been doing this experimental thing with the outfield for some time now, as opposed to just getting legitimate outfielders, for the first time in a while, it feels like the Yankees have actually legit outfielders who have outfield positions as their primary positions playing in the outfield, including even the depth in guys like Trent Grisham, which is really nice. Because obviously in the last couple of years, a lot of what we've seen is a lot of trials, a lot of experiments in the outfield. Oswaldo Cabrera, IKF, and then you're calling up and relying on these kids, Everson Pereira, to play in the outfield every day at one point. And yes, Pereira was an outfielder in the minors, yes. But you were having a lot of experimentation going on as opposed to acquiring legitimate outfield-first outfielders. And now, for the first time in a little while, it feels like they actually have outfielders playing in the outfield. It's really quite nice. (laughs) You'd think that an organization like the Yankees with the brains that they're supposed to have and the money and resources that they have at their disposal, that they would make sure and be able to ensure that they have outfielders playing in the outfield every year. Now, it feels like this is the closest we have gotten to that in a little while. So, I got to hang my hat on that and say that's very nice. So, obviously you have Trent Grisham. You have Juan Soto who we have spoken about week by week by week. I don't even have to really talk about his attributes anymore at this very moment. Again, for King, Thorpe, Vasquez, Brito, and Kyle Higashioka. So now we know what the Yankees got. Let's talk about for a second what they gave. Just being really honest, guys. The only one that really stings for me at all, at all, is Michael King. He has terrific stuff. He's transitioning to a potentially highly effective starter with that great stuff of his. He showcased it at the end of 2023 when the Yankees were trying it out. Looked fantastic. And he has some really, really great pitches in his arsenal. He really does. His slider, breaking stuff is terrific. His fastball just sweeps across the plate and has good velo on it to boot. Really unlike many pitchers I have seen, if I'm being really honest, when you combine the two like that. And I will miss him because of that, for sure. He was a very valuable long man out of the bullpen, even back end of the bullpen piece that was later transitioning into a starter even. And he was very valuable because of that. So I will miss him. But on the other side of that coin... You have to also remember that there are certain aspects of him that make it a bit easier to swallow. And despite my admittance of all of his positives, and they should be mentioned, I think a lot of people out there are taking it a bit too far when talking up Michael King. I mean, you look at Juan Soto, at least as of right now, like I've mentioned, he may be that one-year rental. As of right now. And people are saying that that is all that's going to happen. He's going to sign in Queens next year. He's going to go to another big market team. He's going to demand this much money. And especially in light of another big signing that just happened yesterday. That may hold some water. But regardless, 
it doesn't guarantee anything. We don't know what's going to happen right now. We don't know. But if you want to use that argument, King himself will be a free agent in two years. So it's not like he is under arbitration or under contract for a long time himself. He's only got an extra year until free agency over Juan Soto. And he does, like most Yankees do, have a bit of an injury history, including blowing out his elbow in 2022. And let's also not forget, guys, that he's not even necessarily an established veteran starter yet. Sure, again, I don't want to take anything away from him. He did a terrific job for the chunk of the second half that he did start games for the Yanks in 2023. But he hasn't gotten a huge amount of starting experience under his belt, is what I'm saying. I mean, what do you start games-wise for the Yankees last year? Like, nine games? And before that, I think the last time he had any starts was back in 21, maybe like a half a dozen-ish maybe a a handful in 2020 in the shortened season. It's really not many starts at all to go on. And just nine in 2023? I mean, people talking about him potentially being a number two and and saying that giving him up makes this deal just automatically bad. I mean, given these facts about how little starting experience he has and... You're going based off of that to say that this was a bad trade? I mean, given these facts about how he is factually not an established starter yet, given all this, I'd honestly be surprised if he had more than maybe 150 innings this coming year as a starter. You think Michael King's going to throw 200 innings this year? I mean, I, I would safely bet a healthy portion of my bank account that Michael King does not even throw about 180 innings this year, 175 to 180. I'd be shocked if he does. We're not talking about a guy who's been a starter for years at all. Maybe 150, if that. I mean, we'll see, but considering these factors... And the fact that you just cannot forget that it's Juan Soto that you're getting in exchange. Does it sting a little bit to lose Michael King? Maybe even others, depending on who you like, who you don't like on the Yankees? Yeah, it does sting. A bit. But in order to get a player of Soto's caliber, which I think most of us with a functioning brain can agree on is basically a must in the state that the Yankees are in and just based on the kind of player Juan Soto is. If you are going to acquire a player like Juan Soto or just he himself, someone of his caliber, don't you think you're going to have to package some guys of significance and at least one is going to sting least a little bit. Yeah, it's going to. That's just reality. That's the way it should be. In order to get something, you have to give something. You get something of significance, 
you give something of significance. Even if they're not even, you might have to part ways with something. It's going to sting a little bit. That's why we call it a trade, guys. <laughs> that's that's just life. I mean, that's quite literally why you call it a trade. You give one side something that they need, and you take something back that you need or want. So, for someone like Juan Soto, you're probably going to have to part ways with someone or something that means quite a bit to you and has its positives. Because how else are you going to get someone like Juan Soto? (laughs) It's just living based in reality, guys. That's all it is. At least one is going to sting. But can you let that stop you from making this highly necessary move? Absolutely not. Absolutely and utterly not. The other ones, Drew Thorpe, top five Yankee prospect, number 99 in the country, had a terrific year in the minors last year. Potential for the future? Sure, of course it's there. But not a short thing in the majors yet. Guys, I've had it with only looking to the future. I've also heard people using this as their argument. Drew Thorpe could have this, could have that, could have this, could have that. Is there a guarantee there? Could have is not a guarantee. I grow tired of spending every single year only looking to the future. And what's going to benefit the Yankees in future years? I'm going to now look at what's in front of me. What has majorly looking to the future gotten the Yankees? Where's it gotten them? I'm looking at 2024. It's worth the risk. I grow tired of the could have been could be, could do this, could do that. I understand, and I know his prospect ranking. I know what he means. But the Padres, you also have to remember, like I was explaining quite literally what a trade is before and why they're done, the other side usually needs something in return for what they're giving you. Yankees need an outfielder and could extremely benefit like anybody could from a player of Juan Soto's caliber. And the Padres are looking to acquire pitching, A, and B, shed payroll. Both sides get what they want. Even if the value is skewed one way or the other slightly, that is quite literally what a trade is. I feel like I keep on having to repeat myself with this in order to really drive the point home because some people do not possess the brain capacity to comprehend this, unfortunately. There will still be people out there trying to argue to me that the Yankees somehow got fleeced in all of this. And I'm sorry, I'm just not going to listen to it because it's not true. It's not based off reality. I'm not going to stop a trade for Juan Soto because of someone who has pitched nine games as a starter in 2023 and someone who has not even thrown a pitch at the major league level yet. That would be objectively wrong and foolish. 
even if it is for now, and there are no guarantees, you know, because people are saying, oh, it's only a year. Well, it could end up being more. You don't know that. So right now, you got to hold off on that, using that as a reason. We just don't know yet. And even if it is a year, people are saying, oh, it'd be for absolutely nothing or it'd be a complete waste. What do you mean? It's a year of Juan Soto. I just don't understand that logic. But regardless, it's worth the risk giving players like this back. How about the rest of the package? Vasquez and Brito. Vasquez showed some good promise. Came through with a really solid handful of starts in 2023 when given his few chances. But it's a necessary loss. It's not someone that you're going to be kept up at night with losing. It's just not going to happen. Johnny Brito. Good stuff. Good potential. Certainly had his meltdowns. Needs to learn a lot of control and command. Totally fine with parting with him. Doesn't mean I don't appreciate them. Because I do appreciate them. And I did appreciate when they went out there and did their jobs for the Yanks. That's not what that means. But it's also not going to stop me from trading for Juan Soto. Totally fine with parting with him. All these guys, the potential and skill... It's there. King is terrific. Although they come with their doubts like almost anybody, good pickups for the Padres. They are good pickups. They wanted pitching. They got their pitching. They got Michael King, who's still transitioning to be a starter and could continue doing that effectively with the Padres. They have two guys who showed potential for starting in Vasquez and Brito. They have thrown pitches in the major leagues. And they have a top pitching prospect in the top 100 in Drew Thorpe. They wanted pitching. They got pitching. It works for them. They wanted to shed payroll. And the Yankees desperately needed outfield help, especially someone of the caliber of Juan Soto. They got Soto and Grisham, and they also had the Padres shed payroll in the process. Trading, that's what it's about. They got what they were looking for, did the Padres, and the Yankees. Padres wanted a package of pitching. They got one containing four pitchers, three of which with major league experience, and they also got Kyle Higashioka as a catcher. And I'll miss him too, but especially with Austin Wells coming up now, well... I'm fine with parting ways with him too. Higgy had his positives too. He had his good moments. He gave a lot of years to the Yankee organization. They were talking about the Yankees drafted him in 08. He's been in this organization for the better part of 15 years. He has been a long stay. He has been as patient as anybody to get his shot and finally come up to the majors. And I will always remember him for that, honestly. Really appreciate someone just staying at it for that many years because they want to be in Major League Baseball as a New York Yankee that badly. Gave a lot of years to this organization, a lot of years of service, time, dedication, and I will always appreciate that. I really appreciate guys who just never give up no matter how long it takes them to get a shot. That's a lot of grit. That's a lot of determination. That's a lot of heart. I don't forget things like that. And I wish him and all these guys in this package the best of luck there. But again, San Diego got what they wanted, addressed what they wanted to, got themselves a package of pitching with skill and lots of potential, and they even got some catching help, and they got to offload their payroll, which is really what they were looking to do primarily. And the Yankees, 
Well, they receive their young 25-year-old left-handed hitting, and I know some people are tired of hearing this as sort of a buzzword, but we wouldn't be saying it if it weren't true, generational talent, three-time All-Star, and four-time Silver Slugger, former World Series champion at age 19, helping to lead the way primarily to said championship, Juan Soto. That completely alters any lineup for the infinitely better revolutionizing a group that performed worse offensively in almost every offensive category than almost any team in the sport in a number of different aspects and statistics just last year. Along with a solid depth piece, potential late game substitution option in center field, good solid fourth outfield slash depth piece, also won two gold gloves in Trent Grisham, which also makes giving five guys away in a package a bit easier to digest, knowing you're getting more than just one back. Even if that one is, again, one freaking Soto. Bing, bang, boom. You got yourself a blockbuster seven-player trade. And by the way, and I did mention this before, people trying to dampen moods out there, as expected, completely anticipated because you can't possibly please everybody in this world, as I said before. But some people obviously cannot help but constantly look at the negative. In this case, a lot of it's stemming from the fact that Juan Soto is currently a rental. A one-year rental. Well, how about I put a positive spin on even that? to take out any possible negative that anybody could have for this trade. You ready for this? They even said this on the Yes Network on Hot Stove Wednesday night when it was done, and I couldn't agree more. Could not agree more with this point. The fact that it's the last year of his arbitration, even if he is making over $30 million this year, Juan Soto, the fact that it is the last year of his arbitration and he could massively determine his market and payday for next offseason to finally make the big money for a long time, for a lot of years. Don't you think Soto is going to do everything he can, especially this coming season, to have the best year humanly possible so that he ensures a massive payday? Pretty sure he's going to get a massive one regardless, but if he has a year for the ages, it's only going to be more. Especially with Scott Boris as his agent. Don't you think about how fortunate the Yankees are to have him playing for them when he's going to be trying his absolute best to that degree in order to make sure he gets paid even more than his base market already might determine. 2024 could be a huge determination for the rest of Juan Soto's career. And how fortunate are the Yankees, even if it's only for a year, to have him while concentrated on what's in front of them, winning in 2024. I would argue that because of all this, Juan Soto will be trying harder 
than almost at any other point in his career so far to have as good of a season as he could possibly have. And for that year that he will be doing so, he will be wearing a Yankee uniform. And this is without even mentioning the possibility of him still sticking around later on, which I find it funny how some people are basically shooting it down right away, saying, oh, there's no shot he sticks around. Says who? You? What do you know? We're just fans. We're not on the inside. I'm not even sure the Yankees themselves know for sure what's going to happen yet, unless they know something that we don't. But especially if you're just a fan out there like I am, just a maniac yelling into a microphone, what do you know that I don't? You never know what's going to happen. Most people out there did not think this was going to happen at all, let alone a few days ago at the end of the winter meetings. So even if it is for a year, there's your positive spin. Remember that. Take that with you throughout 2024. Now, it's not a guarantee that he'll have the best year of his career, but you damn well better be sure that he is going to be trying his ass off to do so. Not saying that he's just a shill for money, but a player will certainly go out there and try harder when they're in their final year before the potential for big money. And you have to imagine that Boris is going to let him go to free agency. It's typically what he does with his clients, and that's fine, whatever. But if that does end up coming to fruition, and that is what ends up happening, don't you think that the Yankees are so fortunate to be able to have Juan Soto in that year where he's going to be trying as hard as he can to maximize his payday as much as he possibly could for next offseason? Time's now, guys. Sometimes you got to part ways with a couple of pieces that might sting. That doesn't mean they should be standing in the way of what must be done. That's what some of you need to remember. You need to wake up to reality and remember the priorities. So there's your positive spin on even that point that some people are trying to utilize in trying to be a contrarian against this trade. So you could put that in your pipe and smoke it, as they say. No debate that especially in a season heading into quite possibly the biggest free agent opportunity of your life as an athlete. The single biggest opportunity in your life, you are probably going to try even harder than you already do. And the Yankees have Juan Soto for that express opportunity playing for them in 2024. It's time to stop messing around and wasting the prime years of the main two people that matter most on this team named Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole. With the Cy Young season that just passed, Garrett Cole has made a statement saying, I am ready now, folks. I'm ready to do this and majorly lead the way. Aaron Judge, with what he did a couple of years ago, and even to this degree, in 2023, what he has done, hitting between 35 and 40 home runs in a season where he played only just a couple of games over 100 games. Combine that with 2022. Both of them are ready to win and lead to, primarily, a championship. It is the Yankees' job to surround them with pieces, elite pieces, like Juan Soto, to finish the job. 
and you do what you have to do to give yourself the best opportunity to do so. Could it fail? Could it be a disaster? Yes, it can. Anything can be, though. But it is better to try and fail rather than failing after never trying at all. That is what I say. And this is the Yankees putting their best foot forward, in my opinion, and I respect the hell out of it. And that is the God's honest truth. If you have a problem with this trade, my humble opinion is that you need to wake up to reality. The Yankees did what needed to be done. You can acknowledge that they gave a piece or two that might sting in this deal. But you can also acknowledge that it is what had to be done and that sometimes in order to do what has to be done, it has to sting a little bit. That, my friends, is my ultimate takeaway from it. I am in full support of this trade. I applaud the Yankees for doing it. You hear a number of reports saying that Hal was mainly the one to push it across the finish line, similarly to what we were hearing about the judge signing last year when they brought him back for the nine-year huge contract. You're hearing similar things with this trade. Regardless of who it was, I appreciate the Yankees for doing what had to be done. And if it was Hal Steinbrenner again, then I guess I'm not surprised because that really seemed to be what really pushed the judge thing over the line last year too. So I would not be surprised by that. And if it is in fact the truth, then all the applause to Hal Steinbrenner. Sure, Cashman may have been a part of it a little bit too, but maybe if it was fully Cashman, if these reports are in fact true, then it would not have happened as efficiently and quickly as it did. And if that is the truth about Hal Steinbrenner and the role he played, then it seems like he finally might be willing to take this thing quite seriously after all, and it is very nice. I did say, however, that I do not fully blame Hal Steinbrenner for the state of the Yankees lately. He does have to take some blame, obviously, as the owner, but the one that I primarily blame, of course, is Brian Cashman. I don't know just how much input he had in this trade and the role that he had in it going through. I imagine he had at least some input, obviously, as the Yankees GM. I would hope he does at least, otherwise I would question what the hell he is even still doing here, but I have acknowledged that Hal Steinbrenner can only be blamed so much because he has opened up the book quite a bit, and you're hearing reports now that he is even potentially willing to blow past the $300 million threshold in order to ensure that the Yankees have a vast improvement over 2023. And I respect the hell out of that. You do what needs to be done. You are the owner of the New York Yankees. You are a Steinbrenner. Fulfill your destiny. This is turning into Star Wars really quick, but I don't care. Fulfill your destiny as a Steinbrenner. And if he did play as big a role in this trade as reports suggest, then bravo to him, I say. Because if you're looking at the payroll that he has, that he grants to Brian Cashman, and things aren't going right then it's just a matter of not allocating properly. That fault goes to the GM. I've said that many times. So, more in defense of Hal Steinbrenner, even though I do admit that, you know, especially if Cashman didn't play that big of a role, then why is Hal keeping him? And for a lot of other reasons, why is Hal keeping him? That's why I've held Hal accountable to a certain degree as well. But regardless of how this trade got done, the trade is done. And that's what I'm grateful for. Early Christmas present, folks. You best believe it. I cannot be happier.
people actually arguing to me that Juan Soto also is not what he was before based off of his playing days in San Diego. And to that, I say, are you actually kidding me? And that's what people are saying because, oh, they say in nine starts, Juan, uh, Michael King put up a 188 ERA as a starter. Well, yeah, again, nobody here is denying that Michael King showed some impressive potential in his transition to a starter, but we also cannot pretend here that he is some established veteran starter like that of Jordan Montgomery, for instance, if you want to use another example. I hear some people comparing them to him. Like, how could you make the comparison? One has started maybe in his entire career a little bit over a dozen games, while the other has been starting in the majors for years in Jordan Montgomery. What do you mean, comparison? So you're going to say that Michael King, in that case, has more value than Juan Soto, which is in general ludicrous to say. But then you're going to say Soto has not been what he was with San Diego as opposed to what he was with Washington. And to that I say, are you actually kidding me? Yeah, maybe in 2022, it was a bit worse. I mean, his average dipped down to to 242. But you're still talking about him having played 153 games, walking 135 times, not even striking out 100 times, on base percentage of over 400 still, slugging of 452, OPS still of 853, OPS plus of 147, WRC plus hovering similarly around there, 27 home runs and 62 RBIs, 27 home runs, I guess that's bad now, I suppose, but then if you want to use that season as his low point, with some of those numbers I just gave you, if that's considered bad and a low point, well, that is a player that I want on my damn team, and then this year, playing every single game, 35 home runs in a stadium like Petco Park, and obviously on the road too, he hit many home runs there. But also playing in Petco Park for half the year, 35 home runs with 109 RBIs, walking 132 times. He has had over 130 walks three times in his career, folks. Three times! Strikeouts went up a bit to over 100, but listen, it happens. 275 average, you're calling that, like, awful? Okay. 410 on base? Getting on base 41% of the time this past season? Okay, that's bad? Fine. Slugging percentage of 519, OPS of 930, OPS plus of 158. And guess what? The main fact that I said just before might have flown right over over your heads amidst me giving all the statistics. What do the Yankees have a huge problem with? It's almost like an epidemic the last bunch of years. That's right, folks. Injuries. How many games does Juan Soto play each year, do you ask? Well, I respond... In every year, 2020 obviously does not count because it was a COVID-screwed shortened season. In every year since he came up in 2018, in all years but one, being in that year of 2018, he has played over 150 games a year at least. He played 150 in 19, in 21 he played 151, in 22 he played 153, and last year, get this, he played 162. So please, I ask you, continue to find reasons to somehow complain about the player that Juan Soto is. People are talking about outfield arrangement amidst the other trade the Yankees made, which I will talk about in a second. Concerns about his glove, 
you could have some concerns about his glove. There have certainly been worse, though, and are we going to pretend that outside of Aaron Judge, the Yankees have had any other platinum glove outfielders that are so much better of late? Come on, guys. Stop trying to find reasons to be miserable, and if you want to find reasons to be miserable, then I suggest finding something else to fill your time with. Because if you're spending your days trying to find reasons to not like Juan Soto being a Yankee, you are wasting your life away, and not even for anything of quality, because you just sound like a moron. I'm just being really honest with you. Because outside of a guy who doesn't have the best of defensive metrics, is that really your best argument to suggest that this is somehow a bad trade? Are you kidding? It's laughable. Laughable. And just think about how these numbers will increase in a lot of ways in Yankee Stadium. He's not necessarily a pull hitter, so you don't know just how much the short porch will affect him, but he's still a lefty in Yankee Stadium. It could positively affect him. The Yankees do have a deep left field, and he does hit opposite field a lot, so maybe that could take some home runs away. Maybe it could add to his doubles. Either way, it's positives as far as I'm concerned. Right field probably has the least real estate in the Yankee Stadium outfield, and that's where I'm hearing a lot of the time where they're going to be playing him. Judge primarily being in center field, people can have their concerns about that putting a guy of Judge's size primarily in center field. But I also already don't expect that to happen too many times throughout the year. I don't see it happening more than 120, 130 times. And for those other few amount of games, I mean, we know that Aaron Boone and the Yankees love to circulate the lineup as as it is, whether or not you like that. But they could shift around the outfield as much as they want. They have plenty of options now, especially now that they even have some depth. They can do what they need to do. Because especially, let's say, you want to make a late-game substitution. One of the guys come out of the game, then Judge can shift over to another position for the time being. There could be a lot of different scenarios in each game that you never know. It could just work out just fine. It really could. And let's also not pretend. <laughs> People are saying, oh, all the injuries could happen in center field. It's that much more likely. Well, actually, in 2022, where so much of that season was dominated by Aaron Judge playing center field, It was actually a season, you might recall, in which he was healthy. And last year when he got hurt, yeah, freak accident and all that, 100%. But last year when he got hurt, that was playing right field, his primary position. Blame that in a freak accident, blame it on Dodger Stadium construction, blame it on whatever you want. The point is, an injury can happen anywhere. So that argument about... Judge playing center field and the worry for that is nonsensical because an injury can happen anywhere, anytime. You want to talk about likelihood, well then the likelihood of it, based off of history at least, which you could argue, yeah, it has no bearing on the present, fine, whatever, but based off history of the last two years, it's actually more likely for him to get hurt in right field than center field. So the point is, is to not worry about that too much right now. Because, yeah, there are certain defensive concerns about the outfield right now, but that's also why it's good to get someone like Trent Grisham as well. You have a two-time gold glove winner in center field. So right now, I am really content with this. That's basically what I'm trying to say. Trying to defeat any and all arguments that somebody could possibly use to be displeased 
with such an iconic historical move that the Yankees made just this past week that we were witness to. And by the way, yeah, I definitely don't already have, I don't appreciate you accusing me of this, I definitely don't already have a photo-edited version of Juan Soto in Yankee pinstripes as my home screen background on my phone. How dare you accuse me of such a thing? Just want to make that clear. But regardless, it still doesn't feel real to say, and it's probably not going to even fully sink in until after the introductory press conference comes through. But Juan Soto is a Yankee. (laughs) The happiness that I feel is surreal. I'm going to accidentally rhyme there. Accidentally or purposefully, you take your pick. But... I just cannot believe it. And we are almost an hour into the episode already, and I've basically just only spoken about the Juan Soto trade, and we have a lot more to get to still. (laughs) Oh my god. I'm just overjoyed. I'm overjoyed. You cannot let anything get in the way of your happiness of this happening, especially considering it is not a guarantee that he's only here for a year. You just can't let that get in the way. What matters is 2024, guys. That's what matters. And for 2024, Juan Soto is going to be a Yankee. And that is freaking awesome. You gotta focus on that. You have to. Any other way of looking at it is just a waste of time. And yes, again, I want to wish the best of luck to everybody from the Yankees going to San Diego in the Juan Soto package, and I want to thank them for everything they've done for the Yankees and just wish them all the best. I do. But in the same breath, you will never convince me, and most level-headed people, that any of those guys should have stopped this trade. You cannot let any of those names get in your way. You should actually be giving the Yankees props for giving just that package. Originally, more pitching prospects and Clark Schmidt were also involved, and they had the brain power to hold off on that. They also held on to all other major pieces like Spencer Jones, Jason Dominguez, Anthony Volpe, so on and so forth. Even Peraza is still here. And Pereira and everybody else that could have gone as well, possibly. Chase Hampton is still here, the other major prospect that a lot of people talk about routinely in the Yankees system, pitching prospect. And I'm supposed to be annoyed at the Yankees? Even though they managed to hold on to all these guys? They didn't lose anyone colossal, guys. Michael King is a solid pitcher, yes, with a lot of potential going forward in his starting journey, yes. You can't let that get in the way of this trade, though. You just objectively can't. It's not up for debate. It's just not. I'm all for differing opinions and the exchange of ideas. Hell, I even... I give credence to every argument on this show on both sides whenever I talk about anything. But objectively, you cannot let that stop this trade. You just can't. So direct your attention to a more worthwhile, 
and commonsensical mindset. And that is that Juan Soto is a freaking Yankee. And the Yankees actually pulled it off. That's not all for the outfield, though, guys. It's not all. Because the night before, the Yankees actually made another trade. Now, this was a trade that nobody expected or even asked for. (laughs) And I was not happy about it at the time. But I said, similarly to other guys like Kevin Kiermeyer and whatnot, that if there is more in the works, then I will live to be okay with this. Still not particularly love it individually. But if something else happens that's bigger, that adds to this, then it's obviously not as bad, objectively. And I'm still not a big fan of it individually, obviously, by that logic, but given that the very next night the Soto trade happened, it's it's whatever, you know? See what happens. Not the biggest fan of this guy, as I've said many times on record, so I don't need anybody pulling clips of me for a gotcha moment. I'm well aware of what passes these lips. But the Yankees on Tuesday night acquired outfielder Alex Verdugo in a trade with the Red Sox for right-handed pitchers. Greg Weissert, obviously we know Greg very well, been up and down between the minors and the majors for a while now, often a mid-to-late bullpen piece. Definitely has his struggles, control problems here and there, but definitely has good potential. And a local Bronx kid, of course. Grew up a Yankee fan, so it was good to see him come up through the system and come on to the Yankees and get some chances. But he was involved in this trade now, so he's headed to Boston alongside fellow right-handers Richard Fitz and Nicholas Judice. And Fitz was actually number 12 in the Yankees system. But um, certain aspects of his game that had him that high up on the prospect list, but there are certain other aspects, obviously, that made it okay for the Yankees to part ways with him. So... Nonetheless, that's the trade. So three guys that the Yankees are okay with parting ways with, Greg Weissert probably being the biggest name out of all of them, obviously having actually thrown pitches in the major leagues. And the Yankees get Alex Verdugo back. So two very rare instances. We just got off a year where the Yankees and the Red Sox are battling each other to stay out of the American League East basement, which is rare enough in itself, let alone them making a move with each other, especially after a season like the one that just got done. So... This was really unexpected, unforeseen, even despite the fact that after this happened, the Yankees admitted that they were in contact with the Red Sox around the trade deadline talking about this happening. So this is not a new idea after all this happened, it was revealed from the Yankees that they have been having their eyes on Alex Verdugo actually for some time. And we actually, just in the public, had no clue about that, had no idea. So this came as a complete surprise. And when I was talking about the outfield alignment, this was the other part that I was talking about when it comes to that. Now, when it comes to Verdugo himself, I personally am not that big a fan of him, even aside from all that crap that he started with the fans in left field a while back and all that nonsense. But I'm looking at the Yankees needing an outfielder before the Juan Soto move officially happens. Keep this in mind, because this was Tuesday. Juan Soto happened late Wednesday night. I was saying, well, yeah, he's a lefty, which the Yankees definitely want and need, and he is an outfielder, but he is a league average hitter at best for the better part of the last couple of years. He's had a few run-ins with Red Sox management because of not hustling, showing up late. Some people would even argue that personality-wise, he's completely unlikable. And in a certain way, I kind of felt like it was Josh Donaldson 
all over again. The Yankees just looking for an unnecessary villain. I, I, I just, I just didn't have a lot of good thoughts about it at all. And and I was even thinking that maybe in some ways, maybe it was on the scale of or even worse than Josh because with Josh Donaldson, at least you could say he was still a bit above average when they traded for him based off of his numbers with the Twins prior. But you look at Alex Verdugo's offensive numbers, aside from the doubles, really nothing... Which, and yeah, doubles nothing to scoff at, obviously. It's an extra base hit, and you're getting on base, but it's really nothing jumps out at you. And also when I was thinking this, I was like, well, then what's going to happen? At the time, I was like, he's going to have to play a corner outfield position. He hasn't played center field legitimately in years. And... If they get Soto, even though he's not officially here yet, I'm like, then who's going to officially play center field right now while Dominguez is out? I'm like, no shot they're going to stick with Estevan Floreal being the opening day center fielder. And I think their their days of shoving Everson Pereira out there are done, at least for now. So, like, what what's the plan? Like, would Judge play center? Like, what's the deal? And I, I do look at Verdugo's positive attributes as well. Being league average isn't awful. It's just nothing that jumps out at you. And in the corner outfield positions, his glove is its not brutal at all. Respectable. So I think in left field, because obviously now in hindsight, with Juan Soto officially being, the Yan- being a Yankee, the obvious projection that I have in my mind is Juan Soto is going to be in right field since of the three, probably has the worst glove of the three, even though it's nothing like crazy bad, but the worst of the three, objectively, defensive metrics-wise, I'd say. So you put him in the easiest spot to play with the least real estate, which is probably right field. Left field, well, center field in general, regardless, has a ton of real estate, so that's, you know, it's a moot point. But left field in Yankee Stadium in particular has a lot of ground to cover. And obviously the Yankees think that Verdugo can do that. And considering his effectiveness in the corner outfield the vast majority of the time, I'll give it a shot. I guess, I mean, listen, he's a Yankee. I got no choice but to give it a shot. Neither do the rest of us, but that's obviously their plan. So their outfield alignment as of right now is Verdugo in left, Judge in center, and Soto in right. And listen, I'm fine with that, honestly. I mean, I definitely would have envisioned, I guess, someone like Kevin Kiermaier being more of an option. I was kind of surprised that they were looking at someone like Verdugo. Um, And if you want to add the fight with the fans into there, then certainly going to be interesting to hear these people having to chant his name and cheer for him. <laughs> so that should be interesting. Uh, but yeah, for that reason and, and plenty of others that I just named before, I, I've never, I mean, Verdugo just was not a choice of mine. So I was kind of baffled by this and I was saying, I really hope something's coming up alongside this to make to make it be a bit better and, and Soto will make anything better. So we are at where we're at. And if I was doing an episode right now and Verdugo was the only move at the moment, I'd I'd be much less happy about this. I'd be much more unhappy. So I'm not particularly thrilled about it individually, as I said before, but we'll see how it goes. We shall see. It's going to be very interesting to see him shave as well because he's got that big beard too, and he's going to have to shave it. So that'll be interesting as well. See how we adjust to Yankee Stadium. I do know that he will pull to the short porch quite a bit into right field, so that's a benefit. That's why adding lefties are good. And adding him and Soto, guys, you look at the lineup, it's basically left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, every single hitting position that you look at, which is something the Yankees have not had in a long time. Their lineup is actually very balanced now. So, this is going to be wild. (laughs) 2024, 
as long as, you know, the injuries are under control and things don't completely go off the rails as a potential result of that. Should be very interesting. But uh, Verdugo is a Yankee now, so we'll see. So Verdugo in left, Judge in center, and Soto in right, if I had to guess, and that's what a lot of people are talking about, is going to be the outfield alignment. And it's whatever. Again, like I said before, I'm not I'm not concerned about Judge playing center field. As a matter of fact, he's been very vocal about how much he loves it out there, and he played it for the vast majority of the time of 2022 and was healthy the entire year. And I know you don't want to push it now, especially because we're post-toe injury and whatnot, and you still have a lot of ground to cover out there. But like I said, regardless of where you're playing, I mean, injury can happen anywhere at any time. Yeah, it's possibly more likely for it to happen while covering more real estate objectively in center field, but it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. If that's what's best, if Verdugo could handle left field effectively, Judge loves playing in center field and did it very healthily in 2022, and playing right field with less real estate in the easiest position to play in the Yankee outfield will help Juan Soto and his defensive stats, then, then that's what you do. That's what you do. So this is the deal now, guys. That's the Yankee outfield, at least as of now, with Trent Grisham as a depth piece, which I think is pretty solid. Could even come through every now and again offensively, depending on the situation. You never know. And by the way, Trent Grisham is another lefty. <laughs> so the Yankees have definitely at least excelled with the very point of acquiring lefties. They've definitely done a good job at that, if nothing else. That's for sure. And with all of this, you do look at this, and this is a concern for Yankee fans with everything combined now. The Yankees did trade three pitchers for Verdugo. They lost three pitchers in the Rule 5 draft, which happens during the winter meetings, obviously. And they lost four more in the Soto trade. So yes, objectively, the Yankees have had to part ways with quite a bit of pitching. That's just a fact. I personally, like people are saying, oh, who's going to pitch down in the minors? Listen, they'll figure it out. (laughs) They will. It's not like the Yankees don't have any pitching prospects at all remaining. And this also does lead me to saying that I do think that getting Yamamoto is that much more important now. Yeah, the guy hasn't thrown a pitch in the U.S. yet, but along with losing this many pitchers and with all the question marks I've been talking about for months that exist in the Yankees rotation beyond Garrett Cole, it would definitely be even more in their interest than it already was to acquire Yamamoto, which I'm feeling very good about and we'll talk about more in a second. But on the subject of depth before, talking about all of the outfield depth that they've acquired now, all the outfield help that they've gotten just in this past week alone between Verdugo, Grisham, and Soto, and talking about the need for pitching depth. Speaking of depth, they had some guys who elected free agency a little while back, if you remember. Two of them being Anthony Masevich, reliever from the bullpen, and outfielder Billy McKinney. Those two guys have signed minor league contracts with the Yanks. So they have, in fact, returned on minor league deals. So a couple of guys are free agents that the Yankees had seen potentially go fully. Well, they ended up electing to come back on minor league deals. So anyone who's a fan of either of them, I do know that there are a lot of people out there who liked Billy McKinney. He certainly had his moments here where he was a big deal offensively. Then he, of course, fell off naturally. Now he's back. 
And if you want to talk about potential bullpen depth, at least as of now, Anthony Masevich has returned to. So they have, in fact, come back into the Yankees system. They'll just have to be re-added to the 40-man. In the event that the Yankees want or have to use them on the big league roster. So they're back as well. So more depth for the Yankees. They're just continuing to build up on that. Speaking of Yamamoto from before, there is even more news on him as well. The Yankees will, and they were talking about this on Wednesday even before the Soto trade went through, the Yankees will meet Yamamoto tomorrow officially. They're going to have their official meeting with him. Hal Steinbrenner will apparently be in attendance as well. And if it is truly him behind a lot of this stuff going on primarily, and he's really pushing for all this, then that is a really good sign. Even more influence there. And another interesting report came out a few days ago. Uh, Jack Curry alluded to this on Hot Stove, but now Andy Martino refuted this just today. So I don't really even know what the hell the deal is on this, but Jack Curry alluded on Hot Stove to Hideki Matsui, obviously Japanese-American baseball player, hero, and godlike figure, Yankee legend helping primarily lead to the World Series Championship in 09 alongside guys like A-Rod, for instance. Hideki Matsui, who is one of my heroes, apparently is going to be attending this meeting. And then a few days later, it was revealed that Masahiro Tanaka is even going to be there. Tanaka obviously spent seven years with the Yankees, 2014 to 2020. And then after 2020, he had returned to Japan. He has been there since in his mid-30s, still pitching, still having pitched last year, and obviously still very much cherishing his time in America, playing for the Yankees, delivering a lot of the iconic starts that he did and being a huge piece in the Yankee rotation like he was. And it was rumored that he would even be in on these meetings with Yamamoto, representing the Yankees pretty much. But again, now today, Andy Martino refuted this and basically said, no, they're not going to be there, but Hal Steinbrenner will. So you believe who you will on this. I happen to majorly trust Jack Curry because Jack is just a very, very reliable source when it comes to the Yankees. He's very patient with his reporting and very accurate. So I take his word pretty much like gospel when it comes to the Yankees. My favorite overall national reporting figure, like I've said many times, is probably Jeff Passan. But Jeff and Jack are a couple of the best guys in the business. Jack more so for my specific Yankees fix. But believe who you want here. Andy Martino's been wrong plenty of the time. He has posted a lot of clickbait crap in the past. So we'll see what happens. Regardless, there is going to be at least one important figure at this meeting. (laughs) Outside of the usual regulars that are always a part of negotiations by standard. But They are meeting with Yamamoto tomorrow, and the expectation is that this is ultimately going to come down to a battle between the Yankees and the Mets. And if that is in fact the case, this is going to be very interesting, because obviously Brian Cashman months ago went to go see Yamamoto pitch in Japan, in which Yamamoto pitched a no-hitter right in front of Cashman's eyes and even pointed at him afterwards as to, I guess, say something along the lines of, get me and pay me. (laughs) So... Cashman got to do that, saw him in person, and the Yankees have had their eyes on him for a long time, and there are even rumors, I think I might have mentioned this last week, uh, saying that they might have saved the number 18 for him. <laughs> and and also, on the other hand, with the Mets, apparently Steve Cohen has gone to Japan to see him. So this should be very interesting. 
So I, for one, am very confident that Yamamoto will be a Yankee, but this is probably going to end up being very, very interesting going forward. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with the meeting tomorrow or to follow, but I would be surprised. I'd be surprised if the Yankees leave that meeting tomorrow with Yamamoto without some sort of an offer on the table. There has to be one. At the very least, a structured idea about what the Yankees would like to throw his way. You've got to get this done, especially with giving away these pitchers now that you have already, uh, which I'm okay with because, especially in the case of Soto, because you're doing what needs to be done and addressing the areas of need that you need to address. But also along with the questions behind Cole in the rotation, you need to sign someone like this. Not saying his numbers are going to be as good as they were in Japan. It seldom ever is the case because Major League Baseball is just different. Not saying that the talent in Japan is bad. They're phenomenal over there. But... Just about anyone's numbers here are not quite as good as they were there. But I still trust him to be highly effective in this country, especially at first when hitters have not adjusted to him yet. The league is not adjusted yet. And they need rotational help. They do, openly. They need to sign Yamamoto. The fact that we're talking about his contract potentially being in the 300s or around $300 million at this point when he has not thrown a pitch in this country yet objectively, to me, is pretty freaking absurd. But you got to do what you got to do. That's unfortunately the case right now in baseball. We have crossed the border far into insanity when it comes to these modern-day salaries. I understand these guys have unique talents that very few have on the face of the planet. But if you deny that we have crossed far over into the border of insanity with these modern-day salaries, and again, you are not living in reality. Regardless, though, this is a deal that the Yankees have to get done. Have to get done. It's likely going to come down to the Yankees and Mets, as the reports say, though, and that's really what it looks to be shaping out as as well. Now, speaking of crossing into the border of insanity when it comes to modern-day salaries, and who's into this. Another team was the Dodgers for a while, and apparently they still are, according to some reports, which I think is absolute madness. <laughs> but regardless of what people want to use for economics and how much the, the contract will pay for itself based off of many other factors in which the Dodgers make money, regardless, on the subject of obscene contracts and the Dodgers, whether or not they're still in on the Yamamoto running, There was also major news that dropped yesterday that I really wanted to address quickly. (laughs) I am glad to report, however, with this happening, that this whole saga is finally over. The saga I am referring to is, of course, the Shohei Otani saga. Last time we spoke, I even mentioned the report saying that he will very likely make a decision before the end of the week. And at the end of the week, he in fact did. Yesterday, as a matter of fact. The news came out from the secretive Shohei Otani's Instagram account. And I say secretive because there was so many reports about him not wanting his information and his negotiations and whatnot, just his personal crap leaked to the public. And there was speculation about how it hurt his chances to go to the Dodgers because Dave Roberts may have revealed a little too much at one point, the Dodgers manager. Well, apparently that didn't mean crap because it was revealed on Shohei's Instagram account that he had ultimately finally made a decision and even apologized for taking so long to do so, (laughs) that he ended up choosing the Dodgers. 
Even after that very same day, John Morosi, another Major League baseball reporter who I I think it's safe to say has lost any and all credibility after this whole ridiculous saga that happened yesterday, was talking about a flight that he was convinced Shohei Otani was on heading to Toronto because it was really sounding like the Blue Jays were a front runner for signing Otani for a while. I'm glad that he did not sign there because having him in the division would have been a real annoyance. I'm glad he is not only not in the division, but also even out of the American League. However, there was these reports going out by John (laughs) saying that there's a flight going to Toronto and he is convinced that Otani is on it to go sign this deal. And then it's revealed later that one of the members of Shark Tank was on that plane. <laughs> it was never Otani to begin with. And then Otani later in the day signs with the Dodgers. <laughs> oh my goodness. Talk about like how to lose your credibility inside of hours. <laughs> Oh, it's good stuff. Good stuff, man. But that's not the biggest part. Physically or metaphorically. <laughs> the biggest part is the contract. <laughs> now, there's a lot of speculation on this saying, oh, he's going to be the first $500 million man, could even approach 600 That was cute. <laughs> Guys, Otani signed with the Dodgers for 10 years and $700 million. Holy crap! Yeah, that ought to be the biggest holy crap of all time, Frank Barone. Ten years, $700 million. That is just a few dozen million off of three quarters of a billion dollars. Over 10 years. You cannot convince me. If you sat me down and gagged me. For a half an hour. And it was a one way conversation. You couldn't convince me. That this contract isn't. At least one of the most. If not the most obscene things you have seen in sports history. And people are telling me props to the Dodgers for getting it done. And yeah, fine. Listen, I, I guess they got their guy. And if they could do it and they're confident that through TV deals and merch and advertising and whatever the hell else, ticket sales, that the contract will quote unquote pay for itself through basic economics and whatnot. Regardless of all of that, to pay on average $70 million per year for one single human being, let alone that human being who is not going to be pitching in 2024, and by the end of the contract, will be around 40 years old, is one of the single most absurd scenarios I ever could have imagined in my wildest dreams. Regardless of the contract paying itself off or paying for itself or whatnot, I would be really, really taken aback if the Yankees did something like this. Obviously, it's Shohei Otani. Yes, nobody's doubting Shohei's skill. 
But you also have to take into account, again, I must remind, Shohei is not even pitching next year. He just got Tommy John surgery. And I forgot that it's even a guarantee that a pitcher will ever be the same after Tommy John again. It is entirely possible that even when he is ready to pitch again, that he is not the same pitcher as before. But at the same time, even amidst that, you will still be stuck paying him $70 million a year in anticipation for paying him as both a pitcher and a hitter. Which is why the contract's so absurd in the first place. Yet only one of those things will be done in 2024. And not even to the skill, and I'm not crapping on his hitting. His hitting is better than most, which makes him even more incredible with how effective his pitching even is. But he's not pitching next year. And his hitting is not even on the scale of someone like Aaron Judge. You could argue Aaron Judge's injury history, but I could also argue Shohei Otani's injury history as well. Tit for tat. And someone of Aaron Judge's hitting ability if you want to strictly talk about hitting alone. Plus the fact that Aaron Judge is going to be playing some fine top-of-the-league-esque defense, regardless of whether it's in center or right field, as opposed to Shohei Otani, who's only had a handful of games in the outfield and will also possibly be expected to occasionally play first base, otherwise will be just a DH. Aaron Judge is making... Just a little bit more than half of Otani per year. And if Otani's pitching is taken out of the equation, which it is for 2024 factually, it is objectively insane for him to be making more money each year. That much more money than someone like Aaron Judge, for instance. Yes, signing different contracts, different scenarios, different expectations going forward. But this is why... This is why I suggested, and Shohei may not have gone for it, whatever, but I mean, it's just what's safest in my opinion, given the circumstances. If you're going to give him that huge contract, you have to ensure that he can do both to the best of his ability. Nothing's a guarantee, but you sign him to that money and that length because you're expecting a pitcher and a hitter two for one. That's what makes Shohei so special in the first place. And the fact that he's elite at both. But I personally would have tried my best. You give him as much money as he wants for this year or two. But I would have, to the best of my ability, tried to sign to to a one or two year contract to get him to or past the point where he can pitch again to ensure that it is safe to give him a humongous long-term contract for that much money. But now you've guaranteed that for 10 years you are on average paying him $70 million a year Even though it is not nearly a guarantee that he could be what he was before on the mound after getting Tommy John surgery. He could come back in 2025 and get ready to pitch and not be nearly what he was before. Then what are you paying $70 million a year for? $700 over the course of 10 years. And then if people want to use the argument, oh, he's just not pitching for 2024 and they're not even thinking about the risk going forward. Fine, you want to bark up that tree? Then how about this argument? 
Are you okay with somebody making nearly $70 million? I don't know what, what the contract is going to be like 10 years from now. It could be even more absurd than this. And if we've already achieved this, then it probably is going to be. Then fine, whatever. But as of right now, where we're at right now in 2023 in December, you're okay with somebody making $70 million. I don't know if the contract's going to be front or backloaded, but especially if it's backloaded, this even has this point holding more water than it already does. If it's backloaded, then he's going to be making even more than $70 million at the time. You're okay with a guy making that much money at that point in time? When he is pushing or at 40 years old? I mean, hey, if you're okay with that, then more power to you. And if you would have done the same thing as the Dodgers, more power to you. Maybe this is the only way to get it done. But not only was the process up to this just really annoying and just insufferable to watch, but then when he finally makes the decision, this, I mean, listen, good for him. He gets his payday. And if the Dodgers are okay with it, then fine, whatever. And especially he's out of the American League, not the Yankees problem, whatever, all around. But if you're denying that not even a little of this is completely obscene and we have taken another remarkable step into the territory of complete and utter insanity as far as modern-day salaries are concerned in Major League Baseball, if you deny that even a little bit, then again, I, I just don't think you're based off of reality. I know I probably sound like that old man yelling at somebody to get off their lawn right now, but my God, this contract... <laughs> That original 500 million or 600 million people were talking about, yeah, that's cute, <laughs> considering what we got. Oh, my God. I just think it's utter madness for someone who's not pitching next year and and who could be making that kind of money when he's as old as he will be at the end of the contract. And it's it's nowhere near a guarantee that he'll be the, what he was before Tommy John surgery having happened on his arm now. It's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's a lot. And, you know, a lot of these Japanese guys end up, you know, having elbow problems because of the difference in schedule. And that's why I have my basic concerns with Yamamoto as well coming over here because the ball is different and the routine is different and everything's different. That's why I think it's crazy to give a guy that kind of money too who hasn't even thrown a pitch here yet. And Otani had the problem too with his arm. Masahiro Tanaka even had some UCL issues throughout the years, but he just fortunately dodged Tommy John surgery. But, I mean, it's not a guarantee. It's never a guarantee that a pitcher will be the same after that or after any UCL problems, even if they don't get Tommy John. So, I don't know. I just think it's obscene, guys. I just do. Good for Otani for getting this payday. Good for the Dodgers for getting their man. If they're fine with this, and that's all that really matters. But this just sets a standard in the rest of the industry too. Like a lot of people were thinking about what Juan Soto could get now saying, oh my God, he's going to easily get at least 500 to 550 next year when he hits free agency. And if he does, I mean, listen, we'll see what happens when the time comes. But again, I'm concerned about right now. And right now, I just think it's completely obscene. I just do. My quick little take on it, depending on your definition of quick. But the last thing for news before we get to social media and zoom right through that, because we are almost an hour and a half in already. Uh, the Dodgers, it was just revealed today. This is literally just a couple hours before I started recording here tonight. But the Dodgers and the Yankees are apparently working on a trade right now. There's no specific detail on this, so I can't provide anything specific. Uh, but they're apparently working on a trade in order for the Dodgers to create spots on their 40-man roster for Shohei Otani and Joe Kelly. And the expectation is for the Yankees to receive two 40-man players for a prospect not on their 40. 
but the names are not known yet. So the Dodgers are just trying to do some roster work, and the Yankees are in on it. We'll see what kind of names are exchanged here. I guess it's a good thing I'm coming back next week regardless, because I assume by next week we will have names. So let's just stay tuned to that. But that is the latest on that as of the time I'm recording right now. And if it happens to be updated before I'm done, I'll be sure to update you. Otherwise, I imagine we'll have more to talk about with this next week. But that's really it for Yankees news, guys. Obviously, the winter meetings came to an end Wednesday when the Soto trade happened around that time, give or take. And a lot happened this past week. A lot happened. As evident by the time of the episode, because we're almost an hour and a half in, and we have only done news so far, and we're yet to even do social media. So let's get right to that. (laughs) This week was just an open-ended question, and it's not just one question within the question. It's a couple, but I... Sure, you can imagine what it's about, given it's just basically a Juan Soto celebration primarily today, especially given the episode title. But it's mainly about Juan Soto. How surprised were you when the Soto trade actually went down at the end of the meetings? Did you expect it, and what are your thoughts on the trade? Obviously, I already echoed my thoughts on this. You know that I did call this happening. In my opinion, I thought it would happen by Wednesday night, the latest. That is what happened. So no need for me to really give an answer on this because uh, you know my answers on this. How surprised I was, did I expect it, what are my feelings on it, I've already answered all that throughout the show, so let's not waste any time, get right to your replies. First up, we've got at Evan Wetzel 11 saying, I was never worried, by day two, most of us knew, I'll be shocked if and when they get Yamamoto, that's the one I want. Yeah, you gotta get him, I was saying before, the job's not done yet, Soto is a huge step, but too many question marks in that rotation still, it is another area of need, and they themselves have admitted they need pitching, so... It is something they've got to get done, for sure. At 7 Trivia says, really not that surprised, just hope we can re-sign him. Yeah, I do too, I do too. I really hope that as well, because it would obviously make... I just think Soto is supposed to be a Yankee, it just seems like destiny. Um, Obviously having him around for his entire career would just be that much better for both sides, I feel. Um, and you could also sign him to a long-term contract and not have it be ridiculous, at least years-wise, not talking about money-wise, but years-wise it would make sense if you were to sign him to like an 11-year deal because he's only 25 years old. And even if you were to do it next year around 26 years old, that's still taking him to when he's like 36, 37. It's not ridiculous. It's not into someone's 40s or around 40. So I hope they can too. Just make a lot of sense. I just can't understand the people saying that if he doesn't re-sign, then this deal was literally all for nothing. I can't understand how you could say that and claim to be a functioning, intelligent human being who stands upright every single day. I just can't understand that. Because there are literally people out there saying, oh, you will have given King and everybody else away for absolutely nothing. No, no, no. No, you're not. First of all, the inclusion of Trent Grisham refutes that even more. But even just in Juan Soto's own right... It's not for nothing, ever, at any point, regardless of what happens in the future with Soto. You are getting a year of a top player on the planet. (laughs) And the main concern that you should have is this year. So I just, I cannot understand how somebody could possibly say that. And I have had my people this past week who have said that. Trust me, I'm not just making that up. I swear. It's absolutely absurd how those words could pass somebody's mouth and they could actually believe them to be true. It's unbelievable to me. Anyway, let's keep going. At Baseball, Tzar says, I thought it would be completed there. It's not good to leave without a deal as far as trades go. As far as the trade, ask me next December. Looks great on paper for this year. 
Yeah, I I get it. <laughs> I do, but then again, it comes back to why next year? We're focused on 2024. That's what the main thing is. Worry about next year, next year. It shouldn't even be a thought on anyone's mind, honestly. Maybe slightly, because you do have to have a slight plan, but a lot of people, they're like prioritizing the future. Like, no, bro, 2024. That's what it's about. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm dumb. At Laura underscore Ice Month, my buddy Laura says, I was hopeful the trade was going to happen, but then I got super pumped when it became official. The Yankees needed a move like this. Yeah, they did. And it does remind a lot of people of the quote-unquote old Yankees, per se. And that's been the talk throughout this past week about how the Yankees are starting to resemble their old selves again with a move like this. Just doing what needs to be done and just taking charge and getting the deal through across the finish line. So that's... They do need a move like this. And it reminds a lot of people of the way they used to be. And that's good. Rebecca at Peace Now for Life says, I'm thrilled that Soto is a Yankee. The trade was fantastic. I was not totally surprised because it had to happen, and both Hal and Cashman knew it after the debacle of the 2023 season. Well, yeah, listen, even they admitted how much of a disaster the year was, so yeah, that much is true. And yeah, it did have to happen in our eyes and the eyes of everyone sensible, but they very well could have just tried to make a lesser move and then try to brainwash everybody yet again as they've done in so many other instances the last few years as to why that move is the right way to go when another would have been better. But no, this time they did what had to be done, whether it was more of Cashman or more of Hal or straight split in the middle. But you hear that Hal was the main driving force behind that one, and maybe he would be in a potential Yamamoto signing too, especially with the word that he will apparently be attending this meeting with him tomorrow as well. So I guess we'll see. Big Monday meeting, that's for sure, to start the week. So, but yeah, absolutely, Rebecca. Totally agree. At Crusaders BBNY says, Not surprised that they got it done, but I was surprised at what they didn't have to give up to get it done. I really thought it was going to take a Spencer Jones, Jason Dominguez, or Anthony Volpe type to seal the deal. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, the Padres have their specific need, and obviously it wasn't any of those guys for any of those particular positions. But, yeah, I mean, giving away a superstar like Juan Soto, you'd almost definitely expect a thing like that. And that's that's what I mentioned before when people are talking about how apparently the Padres must have fleeced the Yankees, which, again, I don't know how any sophisticated human being could make such an outrageous claim. But, I mean, yeah, you could have your certain doubts here and there, but to say it was a fleece and... I mean, think of how much worse it could have been. I even said it before, so I completely agree with this. They still have Spencer Jones. They have other pitching prospects like Chase Hampton. They held on to Clark Schmidt. They held on to Volpe, Dominguez, even guys like Pereira, Peraza. None of these guys left. And people are just refusing to remember that or acknowledge that. You have to part ways with at least one guy that stings. One. Otherwise, you're just not being realistic. <laughs> like, Honestly. Give them credit in the first place for seeing to it that that original ridiculous package was lowered. <laughs> so, yeah, you're absolutely right. At Cashman Sucks NYY, I always get a kick out of that handle. Every time I read it, <laughs> it never gets less funny. Says, I didn't expect it because of what I said last week, knowing that we have Cashman. Now, the question is, will Soto re-sign with the Yankees? Right now, Soto is only for this year, and I want him extended. Losing King hurts. Yeah, losing King does sting. I acknowledge that. 
another accidental rhyme. <laughs> but it can't be what stands in the way of making the deal. It just can't be. It cannot be. So you got to give away some at least one aspect that stings a little bit, at least one. But yeah, that is the burning question in everybody's mind. If it gets done soon, that'd be fantastic, even before the season starts. But knowing Scott Boris, everybody's been saying this, and I completely agree with the sentiment, it's probably going to turn out in resulting in Juan Soto going to free agency so he can receive a bunch of different offers from a bunch of people and a bunch of different teams as opposed to just negotiating with one team, just really wanting to scout the market and see what he could get from a number of different avenues. But so that's probably what's going to happen. But yeah, that is the question. But for now, the concern is 2024. want to remind everybody of that. But yeah, the sentiment about Cashman, that's why I called it a very long limb last week when I predicted that it would get done by the end of the winter meetings. It was nice to be right about that. But given all the reports, it seems like it could have been possible that Hal was really the main driving force behind this. And if that is in fact the truth, it wouldn't be a total surprise given the reports last year about Judge, like I said before. So... At Heaven BND says, I was surprised, did not think it would go down, and I'm excited, but I'll be very sad if we gave up Michael King for a one-year rental. I, I still think a one-year rental is worth it, I'm sorry. Especially because in a couple of years, King will be a free agent himself, and it's not a guarantee that it's going to work out with him being a starter, or that he'll even be, be able to deliver a full season's worth of starts, or give the amount of innings of a typical starter. I just... I'm going to miss King, and it does sting a bit because of how of how talented he is and the potential he has as, even as a starter now. But I just don't think that he could stand in the way of a deal happening, rental or not. I'm sorry. I value Soto that much and think that one year of him is still a huge plus. I'm sorry. Some people may call me ridiculous for that, but I, I just think it's a deal that had to happen either way. Obviously, it'd be even better if he resigns. I'm not denying that. That's not the argument I'm trying to make. You understand. If you have a brain in your head, you understand what I'm saying. At Savage Empire Pod says, Wasn't surprised. It had to get done. I love it. Nobody on the deal we will regret giving up, even if Soto ends up walking. We could always bring King back next season, too. Soto was made to be a Yankee. I love this reply. I love this reply. I share a lot of those same sentiments. I don't think King will be a regret ultimately, although it does sting. It's okay to admit that. But there's nobody that I'm like in absolute heartache over. If there were, I'd be a bit of a hypocrite because I've been the one for weeks now saying that I would give up basically anybody not named Judge or Garrett Cole if the deal was worth it and it was somebody we absolutely needed and Soto does fall under that category, by the way. And possibly a third being Jason Dominguez and or Glaber Torres. That's about it. So if I was bothered by this deal, I'd be a big old hypocrite. I'm not. Does it sting a bit? Yeah, but am I in full support of it? Yeah, I am. Completely. I love this reply. Amen to that, man. Amen. At Baliga Donal says, I always believed that he was coming here because the Yankees had the young pitching that San Diego wanted. Yeah, they did. Made it clear from the beginning. Two biggest goals. Pitching, shedding payroll. That's what a trade's all about, man. That is what it's about. At MT underscore 050 says, I expected everything because Juan Soto was destined to be a Yankee. That's what it feels like, doesn't it? Man, that's what I said before a bit. Can't really refute that. Tina at Mountain Gal 456 says, yes and no. 
No, because last season we had our eye on certain players and they got away from us. And yes, because towards the end, Cash was working really hard on this and I thought he'd get it done this time. Love having Soto, but have a feeling next season I'll be sad. Enjoy the moments. Well, let's hope we don't have to be. Right now, while there's no reason to be pessimistic, I mean, there is a reason if you want to talk about what his market could end up being and whether or not you trust the Yankees to go after that kind of money and commit to that kind of money given what they already have on payroll. Yeah, I guess. But otherwise, again, main important thing, nothing's a guarantee right now, so let's just focus on the now. That's my advice to everybody. At Mike B underscore 923 says, I'm actually more surprised about the Verdugo trade, but the Soto trade still came as a surprise. The job's not done yet, though. Get Yamamoto and another pitcher or two. Yeah, Yamamoto's the main goal now, for sure. Gotta look to pitching now. Absolutely. And another pitcher or two, I know a lot of people are talking about Frankie Montas. We've spoken about it on this show. I definitely have my personal feelings on him because of how disastrous his tenure here has been so far. But if you could get him back on a really cheap deal, and you can assure this time that he's actually healthy, maybe it'd be an avenue that we'd be willing to pursue. And maybe it could turn out good. I, for one, just didn't like how his stuff was looking on the Yankees and how everybody just seemed to be right on top of it. But the bigger problem more than anything was his lack of health. So we're, it's a good start if we can at least verify that he is, in fact, 100% healthy and you can bring him back on a really nice, cheap, one-year incentive deal and see how it goes. I wouldn't be completely opposed to that. Especially because the Yankees really need some starting pitching depth as it is right now. He could work his depth at least to start and just have Yamamoto be that real top of rotation guy next to Cole. So, yeah, I totally agree, Mike. Completely agree. And yeah, I was completely surprised about the Verdugo trade, too. Even though the Yankees said that it's been on their mind for a while, that was never made to be public knowledge. And this was the trade that nobody asked for or expected, for sure. So, that's not a bad point, either. At Grinter underscore Yankee says, You should have left your next episode for a couple of days in, just in case we get Yoshinobu Yamamoto. And then we could talk about both acquisitions. Well, I'm going to be back next week anyway, so <laughs> it's fine. But uh, yeah, I never do one during the week. I, I wouldn't have the time with my job anyway. So that's why it's either Saturday or Sunday. And I figured Sunday years ago. That's just how it's always been. But yeah, I'm going to be back next Sunday anyway. It doesn't matter. But I do think it's interesting. One thing I was fantasizing about was thinking about how interesting it would be if the Yankees have not done a Juan Soto introductory press conference yet. And I know the trade is still pretty fresh. So maybe it's just a matter of just they haven't organized it yet. But it'd be pretty badass, like very badass, actually. The most badass thing the Yankees have done in memory, probably, other than winning the World Series the last time they won. It'd be so badass if they are waiting for the introductory press conference for Juan Soto because they do think that an impending deal with Yamamoto could be struck. And they decide to introduce them together at the same press conference. (laughs) That would be epic. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I hope that I have some Yamamoto news, some good news that we all want to hear and celebrate by the time I come back next Sunday, and we'll see. A lot of it probably depends on that meeting tomorrow, but yeah, on that same subject, that was just a thought that I had. <laughs> I just think that would be so badass. I was thinking that right after they got Soto and for the last couple of days too. Spencer at Musician DMD 
says, Previously on Yapping Yankees, I asserted that the Yankees wouldn't make any major moves after the winter meetings. I'm glad I was wrong. The most surprising thing was the disparity between what we got, Soto, to what we gave up. Yes, King was demonstrating real progress in his value to the rotation. Thorpe, who knows? Bottom line, the Yankees didn't give away the future starter of the American League All-Star game. Vasquez and Brito doubt both will emerge as leading MLB pitchers, and I doubt either will. Cashman really deserves credit for serving the Yankees' interests with Verdugo, too. Well, especially with the Soto part and what they gave up, Spencer, I am in complete agreement with that assessment. Completely. And I also love a fellow guy who can always admit when they're wrong, too. Love that. I do the same thing myself. But yeah, the disparity, like I, that's why I just had to address it before, because it's just weird. It's weird and nonsensical. I, I just don't know how you could... I don't know. I don't know how you could really find a big issue with this at all. You could have your concerns with the one-year rental thing and, you know, talking about potential. But to say that any of these guys here in this package should have stopped that deal, I I just think that's complete and utter lunacy, uh, just to be really frank about it. But, yeah, totally agree with that logic. Not giving away any American League All-Star game people in the future. And Vasquez and Brito, if either pans out majorly, it's probably only going to be one of them. You're absolutely right about that. But yeah, I totally agree, Spencer. I don't really know how else to say it. <laughs> Total agreement with you. At Nikki Dibbs says, great trade had to be done. Offense needed a spark. Soto is a generational talent. The Yankees need and have to resign him to build around Judge and Cole. Yeah, and that's why the main concern needs to be now, guys. It really does. Even more so than anything. Judge and Cole. I mentioned it before. I mention it damn near every single episode because it's the truth. They're the main two pieces that you're going to have to need if you want to win a championship within this current championship window. And to continue to waste away years in looking to the future when eventually, before we know it, they're going to be out of their primes and it's going to be that much harder to win within this window. You just have to concentrate on the here and now at this moment. Enough is enough. So, yeah, I totally agree. At Joe Yankees, though, says, Not surprised, just happy. I told you it was happening. Yeah, you did, but remember last week I said the same thing. So, yeah, seems like we were both on it, bro. Absolutely. All right, last two, as per usual. First up, my girlfriend at Vic Salimo. She says, I was honestly kind of surprised. I thought that if they were going to do anything, it would be minor. And if they were to get Soto, they would drag their ass. <laughs> but maybe they're starting to take things seriously. And this is the quote unquote turning the corner phase. Who knows? Oh, God, trauma, trauma, emotional damage. Yeah, I guess so. Could be. <laughs> Yeah, it could be the turning the corner. Who knows? I, I can't even say that without cringing out of my skin, if we're being honest. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's understandable to think that I myself said that with predicting that last week I was going out on a limb. So I get it. But I just felt it was in the best interest of everybody involved. I literally used those exact words last week, too, I think. If not, then something similar to it. To get it done ASAP, and I thought the winter meetings were perfect, and I thought they arrived at the perfect time. Because when they were talking about the stalemate, I'm like, well, what better event to come in than the winter meetings when the executives will all be getting together, and in-person, on-site discussion and meetings can always be a good thing, ultimately, especially when two sides are at odds. To get together in person, sometimes that's the difference maker. I'm not saying that's definitely what happened here, but it certainly could have helped. So I thought the winter meetings came in at a perfect and optimal time for both sides, and I did think that it was going to end up working out for the better, and I'm glad that it did. 
because talks seem to re- reignite like pretty soon thereafter. So, but yeah, I, I totally get it, Vic. Yeah, I get feeling that way. Last but certainly not least, as always, is my mom, Julia Gina Scudero, and she says, Hi, Mikey. So glad you're on today because that brings good news. Believe it or not, yes, I did believe they were going to make the move, as I stated last week. I think that no matter how much of a tool Cashman and Steinbrenner are, (laughs) they really know how badly they handled this team after the disastrous results of this last season. Cashman's last hissy fit interview with F-bombs and all was nothing short of a child throwing his billion-dollar temper tantrum to diffuse his colossal choices of players and management of this team. They had better mesh it together so we pull a World Series in 2024. Let's go, Yankees. Well, certainly amen to that last part, but yeah, that was definitely a hissy fit and feeling the pressure and probably seeing the walls closing in a little bit with the media and the fans. Not so much on his job, because I'm still convinced to this day that his job security is bulletproof. But yeah, I would say definitely pressure from all around and probably feeling it a bit. But yeah, all around. So I'm, I'm glad you were in with us predicting this would happen and um, how much of a tool they are. <laughs> Uh, way with words, just like your son. <laughs> so, but yeah, that was definitely quite a tantrum, and I'm glad it might have been a prelude to things to come and finally doing just what needs to be done, and hopefully that continues with Yamamoto and potentially others because there is more work to be done despite definitely having the right to celebrate what has happened so far, and I'm glad that we can do that today, my friends. This was an eventful episode, lots to get through, probably the longest off-season episode I've ever done. Not quite sure about that. Don't hold me to that, but it might very well be. Hell of a show today, my friends, but it was always going to be in light of what happened this past week. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I did doing it. This has been a blast. I can't wait to get this out to you and hear the feedback like I always do every week. But with that being said, friends, that is all for episode 204 of Yapping Yankees today. And thank you all for interacting as always. Remember to follow me on all socials if you don't already, guys, just as the usual quick reminder. Facebook fan page, Mike Scudero NY. Twitter or X, whatever the hell it's deciding to call itself these days, at Mike Scudero. And Instagram is MikeScuds97. Be sure to subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms. It is available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Show your love across all four like you all always do such a great job at doing. And if you've missed any Yapping Yankees episodes, do not fret because episodes 34 up to episode 204 today, all of those are available on YouTube and every single episode of Yapping Yankees going all the way back to episode one about four and a half years ago, all the way up to today are all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Once again, I thank you 3000 for listening to me yap today as always, my friends, And I have been your host, Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday. I will be back yet again next week, three weeks in a row here in the offseason. Good stuff. December 17th, when I come at you with episode 205 of Yapping Yankees as we continue to just march further into the 200s. But until then, guys, you know the deal. Hang in there. Be patient. Stay safe. Look out for your loved ones. Go ahead and kick life's ass this week, especially with these riding high feelings about the Yankees doing what they got to do. And let us just hope 
that we've got even more news to celebrate next week, guys. Yamamoto meeting tomorrow. Whether or not Matsui and or Tanaka are there or how Steinbrenner is there, let's just hope that they leave with some structured plan tomorrow, even an offer, and maybe even getting it done tomorrow. Who the hell knows? Seems also like another instance of destiny for Yamamoto to be here. So let's just hope that after tomorrow, at some point throughout this next week, we can report next Sunday here on Yapping Yankees that Yoshinobu Yamamoto is a New York Yankee alongside Juan Soto. And all that happening just within a week or so of each other would be beyond epic. And we can get that badass introductory press conference with both of them together. It'd be so epic. My God, I'm just getting myself unnecessarily excited now. Sometimes I set myself up for disappointment, but you know what? Sometimes it's also necessary. <laughs> but we'll have to see what happens for next Sunday, my friends. But until then, as always, let's hope for the absolute best that this celebration continues into next week. And until then, take care, and let's go Yankees. Yankees.